Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law, part of the BBC Radio 5 Live and BT Sport commentary teams. Joined, happy to say, by a fit again, well again, Catherine Whittaker. Or at least, what, 60%, Catherine? Yeah, just about. I'm, I'm, I'm husky. I'm, I'm husky. Husky. Eurosport would just about have her on the air <laughs> in the current situation. We would have her on the air even if she was at 25%. Because without Catherine, there's not much of a tennis podcast except when Marcus Willis is on, as he was last week. If you haven't heard that, do go and have a listen. He's very entertaining, building up to tiebreak 10s, which takes place uh, next Sunday, 23rd of October. Him and Andy Murray and uh, Joe Alfred Songa, Dominic Team, Goran Ivanisevic, Tommy Haas, all in Vienna uh, for the uh, the tiebreak tens event, all one night on Sunday night, just ahead of the main Vienna tournament. But Catherine Whitaker, we've got to start with lots of lots of stuff that is kind of happening off the court. Um, let's start right away with Nick Kyrgios because this morning we record at the moment on Monday. Nick Kyrgios has just had uh, a verdict come through on his behaviour of last week in Shanghai. He'd already been given a pretty substantial fine, but in I think in the eyes of, of many people, perhaps not enough of a fine, not enough of a, of, of a, uh, a punishment for, for his apparent not trying during his match against Misha Zverev. And it has come through today that he has been fined a further $25,000. He has also been given an eight-week suspension, but that suspension is in, is in itself suspended uh, and reduced to three weeks if he agrees to see a sports psychologist that is deemed access, acceptable to the ATP in terms of the treatment that he takes. He has since agreed to accept that punishment and uh, and gone along with it. He's been pretty contrite in his statement that he's put out since then. Tennis Australia have also uh, said that they support the action taken as well. If he didn't see a psychologist, it would mean that he would not play tennis again competitively on the tour or anywhere else until just before the Australian Open. But three weeks will be the reduction if he does undergo this course of action what what are your immediate response and thoughts to that um i i think it's a a good sanction a, a good move from the atp i think they have to be decisive when it comes to um tanking and i think we can all agree that it was tanking you know there there have been some that have 
some curious incidents that have been in a grey area. You know, that the set he played against Andy Murray at, at Wimbledon and, and the match last year at Wimbledon against Gasquet, where some would argue that tanking perhaps too strong a word. But I think last week's match unquestionably was one of the most hideous, most blatant tanks uh, probably the most, in fact, definitely the most hideous and most blatant tank I have ever seen. Um, so, and I think they have to take pretty harsh action on that because otherwise, it it brings the whole game into utter disrepute. I I like the um, uh, the slightly uh, the not slightly that I like the empathetic, um, compassionate um, slant of offering him. Um, the opportunity to enter into a, I think they're calling it a plan of care. Um, I don't think we know yet whether Kyrgios is going to accept that pathway for a reduced ban. It's going to be very interesting to see. You know, I reread that New York Times article um, that came out on him uh, just ahead of the US Open and what he said in that. And and, and he admitted in that to, to not putting in his best effort. You know, there was a quote saying, if I decided that I wanted to win Grand Slams, then I would be trying a lot harder than I am now. I just haven't decided what I want yet. Um, and of course, that sort of big picture effort in terms of training and everything rather than effort in specific matches but you know there's lots of people of course Andy Murray you David have just retweeted a, a comment from Anne Kiothafong saying Nick Kyrgios is 21 years old I'm sure we can all admit to doing and saying stupid things at that age and some of us continue to do so I'm sympathetic with um, you know poor poor behaviour with you know appropriate contrition etc etc from a young person however He's not a teenager anymore. 21 isn't 19. Yes, he's still young and allowances can be made for that. But equally, you know, when I was 21 and, you know, made mistakes or behaved poorly, people punished me appropriately and responded appropriately. So I I think, you know, we shouldn't be letting him... I, I think compassion, yes. Letting him off the hook, no. No, well, I, I would agree with you. I would add to that that I don't think this is really about age. I think age is part of it. Certainly, immaturity is part of it. But 21-year-old Catherine Whitaker is very different as a human being to 21-year-old Nick Kyrgios, just in terms of the way those two people are wired. And that is going to be the case across the spectrum of, of who you are. Um the difference to me here is, is more – you look at the, the behavioural elements to, to Nick Kyrgios, there's a lot more to it, I feel, than than just him not being bothered or, or this, that, the other. I think there's there's there probably is more going on with him. He is wired in a certain way, and I think that with that in mind, he needs to look after himself and people need to look after him in a different way. I don't think you can just apply a one-size-fits-all solution to a guy like Nick Kyrgios. Uh, first of all, I would say it is, to my mind as well, the worst example of tanking that I've ever seen. Uh, I, I do remember Jimmy Connors in a match, the one we all celebrate against uh, Aaron Crickstein for, for his five-set comeback. There was definitely a set in that when he just gave, didn't try. He gave up because he was, he. I think as much as anything, he was saving himself yeah, for, for that, a Yeah, that's set. a complete, in terms of... Yeah, uh, this wasn't tactical yeah, at all. No. This was, 
I, I'm I can't be doing with this, and I'm well, not. Gonna, he asked I'm not the umpire, try. "Can you wrap this up so I can go home?" I yeah, mean, no, look, it, it was it was unacceptable behaviour. I, I watched it live and and shook my head. Anybody who listens to this show knows how much I enjoy watching Nick Kyrgios. Everybody enjoys pretty much watching him, but I really, you know, he's one of my favourite players to watch on a number of different levels. And it and I like aggro. I like all of that stuff. I can't be doing with watching a guy just not trying. I mean, he wasn't trying. Tanking is an aggro, though, is it? I have a lot more time for the aggro than I do for the tanking. I think think, um, the tanking is deeply insulting to the opponent. I mean, really deeply insulting. I thought Misha Zverev handled it well. Deeply insulting to uh, the person that didn't get a place in the draw and further down, didn't get a place in qualifying because you took that place. Um, I know the ATP Masters are, are, are mandatory, but, you know, he could, he could have withdrawn citing exhaustion or whatever. He'd played the week before and won in Tokyo and been glorious. And then... Yeah, it's this attitude of, you know, as if somebody's... I, I, I accept the the argument that he's got no one to answer to but himself. You know, yes, he's burdened with this talent and everybody, you know, has this sort of thing of, well, you've got all this talent. You know, if I'd been lucky enough to be given this talent, then I'd certainly be jolly well fulfilling it. Well, you know, that's just sort of resentment, isn't it? He hasn't got anyone to answer to but himself in terms of his talent. But... Uh, Equally, nobody's got a gun to his head forcing him to play tennis. You know, he can go and work in Asda if he wants and find out what the real world is like and find out the sort of troubles that other people have to deal with in a day-to-day life. You know, no no professional life is perfect. I, I accept and see that there are downsides to being a professional tennis player. I'm sympathetic with those. I think I would get homesick as well. I think, you know, I'm sympathetic with him being a human being, but... You know, you can't have everything your own way all the time. Basically, on balance, being a professional tennis player is better than most jobs. And if it's not for you, go and work in Asda. Go for it. Nobody's making you play tennis, Nick. No, but that would not be a very sensible solution for tennis as a whole to be taking at this point, is it? You can't just say to the guy, right, well, we've had enough of you. Go somewhere else. I. That's why I think this... Well, I'm not suggesting the ATP say that to him i'm suggesting maybe his mum says that to him well yeah no but i wouldn't say that to my kid until i'd given them a good enough chance to to rehabilitate themselves and and actually that's why i think this is the right measure because last week i I had a number of discussions with with different people about the punishment that he'd been given some people just said oh just leave him alone you know he's different he's gonna he's gonna behave like this from time to time but the flip side is you get the better side of him as well other people were saying, no, you've got to throw the book at him. Chris Clary wrote an article which has pretty much borne itself out here um, uh, late last week about how he feels that this is aggravated behaviour and, and, and a suspension should be forthcoming and would would be um, just about commensurate with what he's done. And then, I mean, I had a conversation on Twitter with Mark Petchy who, who basically feels that, look, he's not an angel, but he, he is box office and you get you get the star quality as well my feeling is you have to punish this you have to discipline this sort of behavior because otherwise you're saying it's acceptable and that's that's what they have done but they've also been 
forward-looking and, and are trying to, to do something positive about it because I don't think simply punishing this guy is going to achieve what we all would like to see, which is the best of Nick Kyrgios going forward. No, he doesn't seem to respond well to authoritarian discipline. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the, the the move the ATP is making is um, a smart one. I suppose your stance on it depends whether you think any publicity is good publicity. I don't. You know, that video of him tanking has gone everywhere. Even the casual tennis fan, even the, the not casual tennis fan, somebody that has no interest in tennis, has seen that video. And for me, that looks bad for tennis and it has to be acted upon decisively. I would agree. I think I think we've got the right solution. I would say two years ago, we I think we had a similar conversation when the uh, punishment was meted out to to Kyrgios for for what he said on court uh, in in the states and uh, about Vavrinka, and there was that feeling of um, well, it wasn't actually about Vavrinka; it was about Donovekic. Sure, but there was that feeling of probation, wasn't there, about his uh, about his sentence? And there's there's a, a similar feel to this, but this is at least decisive in terms of right. Let's do something about this. Let's see if we can help this guy help himself. Ultimately, though, it's up to him. He now has to embrace that and not just be the victim. In his own eyes, he has to not just pay lip service to to being contrite, but actually go out there and try to improve himself with the help that he's being offered here. And uh, I'm hopeful. I'm I'm on. I'm an optimist, Catherine. Uh, you, don't say, David, so. you don't say, David. You don't say. Just just a bit. Hey, oh, where are your dogs, by the way, today? Where's Rosie? <laughs> Rosie doesn't doesn't actually live with me she's my mum and dad's dog I mean she is you know by extension my dog uh, but given my you know following the tennis tour lifestyle I can't actually live with dogs I do have some surrogate dogs today though I'm looking after a friend's two two dogs it's a it's a dog merry-go-round in my flat David I've got two surrogate golden retrievers today Ginny and Evie they're yet to make a, a guest starring role on the podcast but Give it time. Give it time. Oi, Ginny. Evie. No? Got earphones in, David. Oh, all right, fine. Just trying. Anyway, uh, Rosie, Ginny, Evie, any other dogs we need to bring into the podcast for the future? Anyway, just just name them. Uh, right, now, oh, Maria. All guest dogs are welcome, in my view. The I more, see. the merrier. Okay, right. Well, well, we'll bear that in mind. Kyrgios isn't the only talking point off the court because since we were last talking ourselves, Catherine, obviously last week uh, we weren't able to cover the Maria Sharapova case because of uh, your ill health. You didn't have a voice, which would have been quite useful for a podcast. There's a little example of the kind of cough that uh, Catherine has been suffering with over the course of uh, the last week. Um, But uh, Maria Sharapova has uh, had her sentence reduced on appeal to Cass from 24 months to 15 months. Um, we have had a pretty significant amount of publicity about that situation since then. It'll mean that she is due to come back onto the circuit in April of next year, potentially in time for the French Open and Wimbledon. Most likely, she, certainly for, for the French Open, she would need a wild card in order to play. But uh, she's going to be eligible certainly nine months earlier than she was originally sentenced to be back for what what was your initial reaction uh, um i mean I, I accept the verdict of 
Cass. Um, I I mean, mostly I was preoccupied with the deeply unedifying response of Maria Sharapova. I mean, she was handed a 15-month doping ban uh, for which Cass determined she... Um, had some the, the the violation for which Cass decided she bore some degree of responsibility, uh, and her response to that was um, jubilant and defiant celebration. Um, and I found that beyond uncomfortable. Really, I can't quite comprehend um, why she thought that was appropriate. Um, and yeah, for, for me, that's that's overwhelmed the whole situation. I mean, my stance remains that she's received a 15-month ban for a doping violation, and that is terrible news for tennis. Um, It's terrible for her, and it's just all really, really sad. I... um, in in my ideal universe, there'd be a zero tolerance policy on doping, and that's not to make an example of Maria Sharapova. It's not about Maria Sharapova at all. I think that's that for me. That's just about the integrity of the sport. I don't think we can afford any complacency. Um, but aside from any of that, I think that the most troubling aspect of it all for me was was her response, which I can I can hardly comprehend. In all honesty. I can comprehend it from her personal feeling of relief and a euphoria that generates from that position of thinking she was going to be out for two years, having a nine-month reduction on that, extra nine months to play tennis, and most likely in her eyes, a feeling of vindication. Now, ultimately, I feel the same way. That Come on. You, you, you were banned. You did something wrong. Maybe not to the degree that uh, that was originally suggested in that tribunal and found in that tribunal hearing from the ITF. But the fact is, you still got a 15-month ban because you broke the rules. And I, I would prefer that to have been responded to in a, in a, in a different way. Uh, I, I certainly agree with that. I, I do think that... On both sides, I think the ITF tribunal findings, I did feel at the time when I read them as comprehensive as they were, I felt the tone of some of the findings to be over the top um, in terms of, uh, I felt there was a bit of grandstanding going on uh, with with a couple of the, the kind of turns of phrase used in that tribunal finding. And I, I don't feel they were necessary. Um, but still, that's ultimately, that's just presentation of uh of findings more than anything else and i feel the same about the way she responded to them just just pull your head in a bit that is is, is my my main feeling on it you know well yeah but that that was how i felt about it um and uh it's it, it it suggests that they they really do need to look at the way this process works and also i mean i i do feel that that the itf's um communicating of changes needs to be probably better than that and yet at the same time that cannot be used as an excuse by somebody for failing a test it's a a similar the sort of incomprehensibility not a word uh, i'll press on anyway of her response had echoes of the sort of incomprehensibility god i've said it again of 
the whole situation with regards to her failing to realise that uh, Maldonium had been added to the band list in that she is this international superstar brand businesswoman with an army, a small army of people working for her. How can it be possible in the first instance that she, I'm, I'm echoing the questions of many, they've been answered in the tribunals and everything. How can it be possible um, that one or more of these people didn't, you know, pick up on this and ensure that she was um, adhering to the laws? In this, and equally, how can it be possible with the army of PR and marketing and communications people she must have, you know, at her beck and call that she misjudged um, the response to this so badly. I'm sure the answer to that is she she would say she hasn't misjudged it, but I am pretty certain that uh, by most sensible, reasonable people's um, reckonings, she has misjudged it. The other thing I, I would say just to add to that is uh, we could really have done without head coming along Oof. and putting out their celebration tweet and they've been roundly um scorned by the majority certainly the people we know that you know it's just not appropriate it's, it's just it, very, no i, I find it very bizarre i mean even if that's how sharapova and head felt privately i mean you know the pr the P, profession of pr and and spin exists for a reason doesn't it i mean surely um, there was nothing to be gained by them putting out that sort of statement. I found it very, very strange. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think uh, that there was something to be gained from their perspective, which is whilst we may have this opinion and many of our colleagues do as well and, and plenty of onlookers too, that represents probably a very small number of people compared to the number of Maria Sharapova fans who will be hooping and hollering alongside them. Um, and, and I suspect there was a, an element of playing to the galleries in that. Anyway, that is uh, the Maria Sharapova situation. I think the only other thing to say is, will she get a wild card, if required, into Wimbledon? I mean, there is a chance that she could get enough points in the couple of events that she would play before the entry list closes for Wimbledon in order to not need a wild card. But I don't think it is a cut-and-dried case that she will get a wild card from Wimbledon if she does require one. I think that they, there may be some splits and certainly some different views at Wimbledon, within Wimbledon, about whether she should or shouldn't get one. Um, and I think that's going to be a very interesting storyline to follow. Uh, I'd say far, I'd go far, far further than that. I, I see it's highly, highly unlikely that Wimbledon would give her a wild card. I think tour events Philip Brooks said that uh, certainly expressed um, sentiments he, he did, of, uh, of, of support I think tour events will give her a world card I would be surprised if Grand Slams do the French Open of course will be the first to have to make the decision and uh, perhaps what they do will set the tone uh, and maybe Wimbledon will wait to see what Paris do before they make their decision it's going to be very interesting it is. It is going to be very interesting. Uh, we'll wait and uh, follow with interest. Now, on the court, Catherine Whitaker, 24 minutes spent talking about uh, Kyrgios Sharapova and your dogs. And now we're on to uh, stuff on the court. And, uh, well, I say that. Joe Conta managed one 
one match uh, in Hong Kong uh, in which she beat her Naomi Brody 6-2, 6-2 before she had to withdraw with uh, an abdominal injury. But she, despite falling outside of the top eight, now has a chance to qualify for the WTO finals because of another big piece of news that has dropped this morning, that of Serena Williams announcing that she will not be playing in Singapore because of the shoulder injury that has dogged her over the last uh, two two or three months, really. I mean, she seemed to be affected by it during the US Open. She certainly said she had. She hasn't played since then. And uh, she's not going to play again for the rest of the year. It's... Uh, it's a shame for for all of these tournaments in Asia, but it's also a concern if assuming that Serena Williams does have a, a serious problem here uh, that is preventing her from playing. It's a, it's a concern for her because, I mean, what has she played? The Slams and Rome, and that's about it. Yeah, I don't think it's any great surprise, but it is an enormous shame. Um, I really feel for that that tournament having missed out on having her there last year to, to have the, to suffer the same this year there's on there's no question it is it is a blow as much as you know Kerber is emerging as a great star of the game and Muguruza as well and plenty of others it is an enormous blow let's be honest um but not a surprising one as many people reported uh, on uh, twitter yesterday she was she was in disneyland yesterday spotted in disneyland while uh, agnieszka radvanska is already in singapore preparing the signs were there that uh, this was going to happen it is good news for joe conta uh, the situation seems to be that she will qualify for singapore unless svetlana kuznetsova or suarez navarro win in moscow so it's a waiting game for her again hopefully uh, the waiting will be also recuperation time from that abdominal injury uh, and uh, I mean it's just an enormous achievement for her to get to the top 10 so I- I'm sure Singapore would be um, just an immense icing on the cake. Yeah, it's a terrible shame, isn't it, for Conta to get an injury like that at this stage of the season but it's probably not that surprising, is it? And you look at the amount of players that are showing wear and tear now uh, at this stage of the season, it is getting harder, more grueling by the week, isn't it? I mean, and uh, Conta, of of all players, I mean, she is as fit as you could possibly be, I think, as an athlete, and yet um, just uh, pulled a muscle there or, or some kind of strain on the abdominal area, and she's unable to, to play unless uh, she stays in the top eight. And, and what requires her to stay in the top eight will be for Svetlana... Oh, hello. That's Who's Evie. this one? Evie. Hello, Evie. 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 Evie's a Conta fan, everybody. Evie. And, uh... <laughs> okay. Evie, come on. Ginny's right. about to join in. Okay. Evie, Ginny and come on. Evie. On the Tennis Podcast, brought come to you on. in association oh, I'm with happy, the I'm going to get the biscuits out. Oh, Catherine's got the biscuits. Uh, I can't join in with the biscuits because I'm at the other end of the country, uh, about 200 miles away. So They're peanut um, butter flavours. Unless I get my own biscuits, there will be no biscuits eaten this side of the tennis podcast. Anyway, let me just remind you, Joe Conta will qualify for Singapore, the WTA finals, unless Svetlana Kuznetsova or Carlos Suarez Navarro win Moscow this week. Both of them playing the top two seeds. There's also the question mark over Conta's fitness that if, even if she was qualified 
in terms of the standings, she might not be able to take her place. We don't have complete clarity over the state of her fitness. How's Evie doing, Catherine? The, 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 the biscuits have had the desired effect. It's all it's all calm here once again. Okay. Um, but on the subject of Joe Contra, I just think it's a real shame for her not to be able to fight for that place in Singapore, for her have to passive for have her having to passively sit back and just wait because you know we saw in Beijing you know how great a fighter she is in that position and it's just yeah it's just a shame for her I, I feel for you know having to sit back last week and watch Sybil Kova win in Linz and leapfrog her and now she has to do the same just sit and hope um, during uh, this week in Moscow and, and you know, perhaps not tempt fate by booking her flight to Singapore. I don't know. I mean, presumably she will go to Singapore as an alternate either way. So maybe she will hop on that plane to Singapore. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's a shame for her. It is. Dominika Sibylkova, cracking performance from her oh. last week in Linz. I mean, you know, she knew she had to go, I think, to the final to, to overtake Conta, and she was just relentless. I saw some of her matches beating Pavlichenko, her last year's champion, and it was like, this. unless, you've, unless you stop this woman in her tracks, she's going to keep on going. Uh, I, I was so impressed, and she's qualified now for the first time. Yeah, it's great to see her in full flow. Yeah, she's fantastic. And uh, was coming back from injury at the beginning of the year as well. So fantastic achievement for her to qualify. Uh, and uh, yeah, she's, I mean, who isn't a fan of Dominika Sobolkova? She's cracking, isn't she? Um, and yeah, what a great advert for, you know, this um, finals format, you know, the season ending finals. What a fantastic bun fight it's been for places these past few weeks you know really showing uh, what these women are made of it's it's been fantastic there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The men and Andy Murray, two titles in two weeks, 10 match wins in a row, 20 sets out of 20 sets. That was his record in Beijing and Shanghai. And Catherine, it's now put Andy Murray after he beat uh, Roberto Bautista a gut in the final. Fantastic performance again. And he's now less than a thousand points behind Novak Djokovic in the race to number one. And the way things work out, even though he's nearly two and a half thousand points behind in the overall rankings because 
the London O2 points come off just on the eve of that tournament, it means that if Murray were to win Vienna next week and then Paris, with Djokovic not getting to the final of Paris, he's not entered in Vienna next week, that would put Andy Murray as the world number one. It's hard to believe it's suddenly that close, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's hard to believe for Andy Murray as well, because I don't think, by all accounts, unless he's he's bluffing immensely, I don't think he had set it as a target for this year. I think it's absolutely a target for next year. And I think if he doesn't do it this year, he will do it next year. There's that period, you know, February, he didn't play because of the baby. And then there's, you know, Indian Wells, Miami, which uh, Djokovic is defending uh, winners points at both. And Murray had a horror show uh, there, frankly, last year. So um, that I think is when he was aiming to do it and, and thinking it was achieved. But I think this has come as a bit of a surprise to him that it's suddenly within his sight. It's going to take a heck of an effort um, I mean, having said that, he's the favourite in Vienna and he's the favourite in Paris. Uh, he's the favourite for every tournament he enters at the moment. So who's to say he won't do it? Um, one thing to mention is that uh, Davis Cup final ranking points, he got 275 ranking points for winning the Davis Cup last year and they would come off the week after the O2. So let's say he got there after Vienna and Paris stayed there for the O2, but wasn't ahead by more than 275 points. You know, obviously all of this depends on what happens to the O2, etc., etc. But Djokovic, once those ranking points came off, uh, Djokovic would go back to number one. So it's possible Murray could get there before the end of the year uh, and then Djokovic, without doing much, could go back to number one uh, to end the year as number one. So it is all incredibly complicated. I do wonder now whether, you know, in his um, post-match interview with Sky yesterday on the on the court, as I say, Murray was very much saying, you know, this isn't my goal for this year. It's very much a goal for the beginning of next year. I wonder, though, given just how achievable it is, whether he will be having a, a good long look in the mirror and thinking, let's do this this year, Andy. It's going to be very interesting. He's playing like the world number one, has been for a while now. And it's not just about level of play being the best. It's about that relentlessness of it. It's it's what Djokovic has done for, for such a long time. That consistent level of performance. Federer obviously did it. Anybody who is world number one for a considerable period of time puts those sort of results together back to back. And I mean, it's if you look back in the records at the way Lendl used to carry himself, the, the length of time he was world number one, even though just in terms of his sheer level of, of best play, you might not always say that this is the most talented guy in the world or the best player in the world, but he was putting the best results together week in, week out. And and Murray's doing that. And uh, I mean, who knows how much of an effect Lendl has had in that regard, but it, it can't just be coincidence, can it? I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought, not given the, the, the timings that we look at and the record that he's had since the start of Queen's. I, I don't think he will do it this year because I just feel that at some point he's got to have a letdown, hasn't he? But he's going to get there. The, the, the way that you've just described the early part of next year and the points Djokovic has to defend can't see Murray not being number one in the next six months or so. And then there's the big question mark over what is going on with Novak Djokovic right now? Because it's not just his results. He he lost 6-4, 6-4 to Roberto Bautista, a good, very good player. But still, 
a player, to my mind, who's tailor-made for Djokovic if Djokovic is on decent form. Yeah, um, yeah. And he, he looked he looked just completely bereft, Djokovic. He looked harassed. He looked like he'd rather be somewhere else, in all honesty, and, and as though he just can't quite work out what the point is at the moment. And, you know, to me, it was it was classic burnout. Yeah, it, we're sort of watching him have a an implosion before our very eyes, really. And at, at points, I'm finding it a, a bit tough to watch. You know, I feel like we're we're seeing a man in in turmoil. Some days it it obviously feels worse than others. I think against Roberto Bautista, you know, we saw him ripping his shirt and laying into Carlos Bernardes, and you know, it was, it, he was clearly churning on the inside. Now the details of that. We don't know, but he is churning for sure. Um, I think burnout is unquestionably part of it. I think Andy Murray being on his heels is part of it. I'm sure these, you know, whatever they are, personal issues are also part of it. You know, and and, and I think, you know, Andy Murray nipping up behind him, that must be awful. You know, he he's the world number one. He, I'm sure he defines himself by being the best tennis player in the world and 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 had come to be so comfortable in that position everybody you know cast our minds back to Australian Open when Goran Ivanovic was practically handing him the uh the, the calendar year golden slam and not just Goran I, I'm not singling him out but I do remember how strongly Goran put it you know he said well who's going to beat him and uh I, I it's just immensely difficult to deal with and the the prospect of him losing that crown and and suddenly feeling even more bereft than he is now. You know, however bereft he's feeling now, at least he's still nominally the world's best tennis player. Once he loses that, I'm sure he's thinking, well, what am I then? You know, where does that leave me? It it must be pretty tough for him at the moment. I do, I want to see Murray play Djokovic. I don't want to see Andy Murray get to number one without beating Novak Djokovic. I mean, I'm sure for Andy Murray, it it doesn't matter how he gets there. But, you know, I I think that would be only right. And it would be very, very interesting to see whether playing Andy Murray, playing the man that's trying to take his crown from him would bring out the Novak Djokovic of the beginning of 2016 would bring something out of him, would bring some energy out from somewhere that he hasn't been able to find recently. I think that would be fascinating. He's been a bit cagey about whether his relationship with Boris Becker is going to continue beyond this year. And Boris, uh, very visibly not in Shanghai this week, and in fact, instead uh, in the crowd at the recording of Strictly Come Dancing, quite amusingly. Um, So that is another big, interesting question mark um, for Novak. Who knows whether, well, it's not definite that their relationship will end, but if it does, is that his decision? Is it Boris's? What on earth is going on? Other than that, we know this guy is having a rough ride at the moment. He is having a rough ride, and uh, I felt pretty uncomfortable watching it as well. And I, I don't really know the the this, the precise reasons. Of course, none of us do. But I know I know what burnout feels like, and I've seen people go through it on the tennis circuit as well. A couple of people on Twitter even comparing it to to watching Borg. If you go back thirty odd years ago, at the age of twenty six, in his case, I, I just feel that you know may. 
the amount it must take, and I, I, I'm not completely convinced by the argument of, of the Andy Murray coming up behind factor to it. I think it's more about how Djokovic just feels within himself and how much it's taken out of him to be doing what he's been doing for the last however long. And he just looks short on energy to me and and freshness and get up and go and point to it all he needs to get that back he needs to get that feeling of i really want to do this and i, and I want to achieve again because he, he looks like he's lost that to me um i've seen it before with a few people and um i i, I think the only way is to have a, a good long break and, and just get away from tennis altogether but it's pretty difficult to do that on this circuit, isn't it? That's the problem. Well, yeah, well, and also that's when the Murray nipping at his heels comes in. You know, he he, he no longer can afford a break. I, I, yeah, I that's think true. Th- that's feeding into the, the mental situation. You know, he, he'll know the situation with Vienna and, and Paris and, and uh, it's going to be very interesting. He does say, though, he says he's not that bothered about number one anymore. I'm sure there's a degree of him trying to remove the pressure internally from himself by saying that. Um, But I do wonder if you you get to a point where you're not worried about records and status anymore. You just want to feel like you used to feel. And I don't think he does. But... Anyway, we shall see. The The race to London is uh, getting a bit more interesting because uh, David Goffin has had a, a good week. Uh, Rafael Nadal has not posted any results at all. He lost in the first round in Shanghai to Viktor Trojicki, so he's a little bit vulnerable. Dominic Team was unable to play because of illness last week. Goffin beat Monfils as well last week. So there are players that have an outside chance. I, I still can't really see anybody catching these guys, I have to say, the top eight. Well, except that Nadal has floated the idea of taking the rest of the season off. He says his wrist is still causing him a lot of pain, which I find it must be causing him a great deal of pain because, you know, we talked a couple of podcasts ago about how fixated he's been on the race and on qualifying for London. So that's a big question mark. Monfils we saw receiving treatment last week. He's a big question mark. And Dominic Team, (laughs) well, you know... Illness caused him not to play in Shanghai, but I, I I believe surely exhaustion is a factor in that. You know, played in Mets, took a wild card into Chengdu. You need to be peaking for the Masters series, Dominic. What are you doing taking a wild card into Chengdu and then not even being able to play in Shanghai? Um, so he is a question mark points-wise. I think if he doesn't have a good week uh, in Vienna and Paris, he could be in a little bit of trouble um, for me. And uh, yeah, everyone's nipping at his heels there. Thomas Burdick's there. Um, Roberto Batista Agut has now just about put himself in the conversation, but he'd have to have similar runs, uh, a similar run in Paris, I think, to the one he had in Shanghai. But they're, they're there and they have a chance. Chilich as well is there. Awesome. Uh, well, there's plenty there to, to get our teeth into. But, well, I, I don't know. I, the, the question mark over Nadal, of course, uh, as you mentioned. But um, I don't think there'll be a huge amount of movement. We shall see. Now, you mentioned Vienna. That's the next uh, ATP main event. And there's also Basel as well. But uh, in Vienna on Sunday night, an event that uh, that we're involved with is uh, tiebreak 10s. Six players, Murray, Team, Songa, um, Tommy Haas, Goran Ivanisevic, and Marcus Willis. Catherine, one night, who's going to win? 
Wouldn't it be amazing if it was the will bomb? Uh, who's going to win? Well, I've just said Andy Murray's the favourite for every tournament he enters. I'd say that probably applies to tie breaks as well. So it does level the playing field, though, doesn't it? You oh, know, it certainly I mean, does. Yeah, did. Kyle Edmonds proven that. I mean, I think even Goran has a chance with that serve. He serves bigger now than he did during his career. If he can, you know, get all his first serves in. Um, yeah, that's the beauty of the format. I, I think Andy Murray's the favourite, but. You know, I I genuinely believe Marcus Willis when he says he thinks he has a chance. So, you know, who's to say he doesn't? Indeed. Well, if you want to have a listen to our interview with Marcus, it's on uh, last week's show. Pole vault, Catherine. Just mm. what you've been waiting for to finish the podcast with. You're going to stick is, around this, this week. This is when or? the dogs need to start barking on cue. <laughs> Where are you now? No, this it's good this week. I'm telling you, it's good this week. They're looking they're, they're, at me blankly. They're, they're putting their headphones on as we speak. Djokovic, whichever way you look at it, I wrote. Novak Djokovic doesn't seem like his normal self. What do you think the issue is? Is it health? Oh, I for not goodness fully sake. Fit? What? The, nobody out there has more information than us, David. We don't know. They can have an opinion. Oh, we just... Oh, it's just... Speculation. I know it's good, isn't it? Speculation. I, I know, don't she care. Loves it, really. oh, well, it's fine. Turn I off. I care then. about what the issue is. I don't care what you know. Bob from Harrogate thinks the issue is. Sorry, Bob. I mean, you know, we 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 like you to listen to the tennis podcast and join in, but uh, Catherine Whitaker, not so much. Anyway, health not fully fit. Eight percent of you think it's because of that. Thirty-three percent think it's because of lost motivation post Roland Garros, and that's the most popular of the choices in pole vault. Twenty-nine uh, percent think he's just simply lost his form because he's a human being, and thirty percent think it is something else. Human Nicola beings Clex- aren't binary in that way, David. It's probably a, a combination of all of those things and a million other things that we don't know about. Ah. Thanks, Catherine. Uh, Nicole <laughs> Eclectic says, I chose something else because I think the issue is burnout, which isn't listed. David Swan said he's already told us his motivation is different now. He doesn't have that drive after getting career grand slam. Fraser Marnie says, even if you're Novak Djokovic, you don't recover from bad injuries in a few weeks. And Mallon Baker says, could he just be... Could it just be that he maintained an absurdly high level for a long period, but has become human again and lost a bit of confidence? So there's pole vault number one, Catherine. I'm glad you that enjoyed that one. well, didn't it? Yeah, I'm glad you chuffed with that one. Uh, what about Nick Kyrgios? What do you think of the ATP's decision on Nick Kyrgios? See, that the question? one's fine. Thank That's, you. Oh, you well, know, you can have oh. an opinion on that. That's not speculating about the inner workings of someone's mind. That's... Thanks. Great. Uh, 32% say that the ATP's decision on Nick Kyrgios was too lax. Ban him from the Australian Open, say 32%. 15% say it was too strong. The fine, the original fine was was just enough. And 53% think the ATP have got it just right, which I think is what I would agree with as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Excellent. Uh, And third and finally, Andy Murray, will he be number one this year? Yes or no? What do you think, Catherine? No. 43% agree with you. 57% say that he will be uh, number one this year. I I think he'll be next year as well, as I mentioned. So uh, there you are, Catherine. Pole vault's over. It's painless, wasn't it? Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Buying in, Catherine Whitaker here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Have the dogs requested their walk yet? 
Oh, they've been requesting it for the past three hours. I don't know how I've kept them at bay. Biscuits. Always works (laughs) for me, I have to say. (laughs) Uh, Look, we will be back with another tennis podcast. Catherine is going to be at Tiebreak Tens next week uh, in Vienna. So we'll see what she can get from there. But we'll be back with another tennis podcast in a week from now. Thanks for joining us. We'll speak to you soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.